Welcome to the FDN Thrive Podcast. We interview leaders in the functional health space who bring you the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information for people who have tried it all for their health issues. We hope you enjoy the show. Same information I've learned in FDN, it's the same information that would have saved my father's life. I know that to be true. I also know that I was given that mountain so I could show the world that the mountain can be moved. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. we got a really special guest today. We're talking to Ben Azadi, and the reason he is a really special guest is because he's got a podcast of his own called Keto Camp, and it is in the top 15 most listened to keto podcasts. So very cool. Definitely go check that out. But a little bit about Ben. Ben Azadi is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and he's on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. Big goal, but when you hear this guy talk, I think you will understand that he is definitely on his way. Ben is the author of three best-selling books, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep. Ben has been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. He is known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and educates, not medicates, to bring the body back to normal function. Well, Obviously, you know why he's on the show, and of course, he is an FDN, so even cooler that we have someone that is doing such amazing things that also came from our program here, and doing the stuff that we do, and doing it right. We're talking today about why keto is not a fad, but we definitely touch on the intermittent fasting side too, and how you can do keto properly, because this is not just a diet, folks, it's a metabolic state. So you're going to just have to listen to find out more about what I mean. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hey there, Ben. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Evan, I'm pumped up to be here with you today. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. I always say this on the podcast, but I love getting connected with other FDNs. Uh, There is no such thing as an FDN I don't like. I have not met that person yet, and I've talked to probably over 100 FDNs at this point, and I still got hundreds to go. Actually, a couple thousand, so that's very cool. (laughs) Um, And I love hearing the stories. I never get bored of this. Um, It never gets old, and it's always like inspiring to me to just, you know, know that other people are out there with their own health struggles and doing their own thing. So let's start out with that today, Ben. I want to go back to whenever this time was, maybe you were a kid, teenager, or getting into your adult years already. Like when did your health challenges start and what did those look like exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So I was somebody who grew up here in uh, beautiful Miami, Florida, which you're not too far (laughs) from me right now. And I was left to my own devices. My parents divorced. My mom worked three jobs. So I hung out with the wrong crowd and I followed a standard American diet, a.k.a. stupid American diet. So I ate a lot of sugar, a lot of processed foods, carbohydrates, ate every few hours. And uh, my body showed um, I was obese as a result. I was actually obese for the majority of my life. I found myself at the age of 24 years old being an obese man, both physically obese and mentally obese. And I say mentally because at this point I was rock bottom in my life. I was going through a bad breakup. I had no goals in my life, never focused on health, nutrition, fitness, exercise. And I wanted to actually give up on life. I was looking for ways to end my life and I was suicidal and depressed. And anytime I thought about that, ending my life and and pursuing that, I would think about my mother and the devastation she would have to endure if I did that. So it stopped me from pursuing that, thank God. And I knew I needed to figure things out. I didn't know where to start. I wanted to leave my job. I wanted to work on goals, but I knew I needed to have energy to do so. And at this point, I barely had any energy. I would take 
frequent naps. I would have brain fog. I lacked mental clarity. I felt like I was 94 years old instead of 24 years old. So for the first time in my life, I started to read books. <laughs> I started to read books from authors such as Tony Robbins, Earl Nightingale, Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, and it really helped me take ownership and responsibility over my circumstances and results because up until that point, I was blaming my genetics, my enabling family members, my slow metabolism, et cetera, et cetera. But I understood at that point, they're not responsible for my results. I am responsible for being obese, depressed, suicidal, lost in life. So I decided to take ownership for the first time ever. And I became the victor of my future at that moment. And I stopped being the victim of my past. So what I did, I started to focus on my health. I started to exercise. I started to eat better. I started to take ownership instead of, instead of blaming other people. And, and nine months after that moment of, of uh, ownership, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds. I went from 34% body fat down to 6% body fat and size 38 waist to size 30. So I finally carved out a physical six pack, which is something I always desired growing up being bullied and picked on as the overweight kid. I finally carved out a physical six pack, but the most important thing I, I achieved during that transformation was a mental six pack. I started to think better thoughts. I started to be more positive. And that's what started my journey in the health space. Evan, I became a uh, personal trainer back then. That was in 2009. I would be. I was this mobile personal trainer going to client to client. Then I became um, certified as a health coach because that's actually when I, a few years into it, I was seeking ways to get, of course, a certification, but also understand labs. How do I run labs? What labs do I get? How do I look at it? How do I connect with people who are doing what I want to do? And I've always followed that philosophy, which is find somebody or an organization or a group or a program that has done the things you want to do and pay them to teach you to do it. <laughs> so that's where I started to search for uh, health coaching certifications. And lo and behold, there, there were so many out there. And I knew that they were not all created equal. And I saw some great ones that had some great testimonials and reviews. But the one that really stood out to me was FDN. The reason is because I was an avid listener of uh, Sean Croxton's Underground Wellness podcast. And I know Reed was a guest on there several times. So I kept hearing this functional diagnostic nutrition terminology. So I decided to really investigate and explore and do some research on FDN. And uh, it, I decided that this is the program for me. This is the course I want to do. I want to learn all about it. And that's when I started to actually get involved with FDN. And I'll, and I'll pause right there unless, in case you have any follow-up questions so far. That's perfect. Thank you very much. And oh my goodness, man, I can't wait till we get Sean on here one day because I think like 90%? No, I'm kidding. But it's a lot of the people are like, hey, you know, it's Sean Croxon podcast, uh, Underground Wellness. I heard Reed talk. And I mean, I've heard that so often. So wow. um, that's really, really cool that so many people were impacted by that. I knew that was a wildly successful podcast. And that was kind of before it was such a big thing, right? Like, didn't he stop that particular podcast? I think in almost like 2015 or 2016. Right. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, it's, yeah, very cool to know that he was already on top of it back then. So I did want to actually ask a few questions. So I appreciate um, given that opportunity. One of the things I wanted to know was how did you make the transition into the natural side of things in general? Um, I understand that weight loss is inherently something that is going to 
look at food and look at lifestyle. But I think you and I both know, as do all of our listeners, there are many unhealthy ways to lose weight. There are surgeries. There's the Weight Watcher type of things. There's, um, you know, and not that those are necessarily unhealthy. I'll be careful with what I say. But we know now that they have certain ingredients that might not be as favorable as we'd like to the human body. That is a fact. That's not an opinion. Um, So with that said, like, how do you make the transition to the more natural side of things? Like what sparked your interest in that? Yeah, and I would I would say that Weight Watchers is unhealthy, <laughs> so I'll I'll be on the record for saying that. <laughs> um, so I actually didn't really get into the natural holistic side of it until a few years along my journey uh, because my father ended up getting sick. My father had type two diabetes, which we know is a lifestyle disease, and they they treated it with medication. So we I took him to his doctor's appointments. He got his uh, insulin, he got his glucose reducing medicine. I followed the list of groceries to, to buy for him, took him to the grocery store. And this was a, a routine that we did every every month. And we did this for years. So even though I went through my transformation, I was still studying health and fitness. I was a personal trainer. I still put my faith into conventional medicine, allopathic medicine with my dad. And year after year, my dad ended up getting worse. He needed more insulin. He needed higher doses of medication. He gained more weight. And I remember them telling me that, hey, you know, in order for us to really manage this disease your dad has, he needs to lose some weight. But then I thought, but but doc, you, you, aren't you giving him insulin? Isn't his insulin now higher? Doesn't insulin cause him to gain weight? And he, how could he lose weight if he's taking insulin, which causes him to gain weight? And they said, you know, it's just a necessary thing we got to do. So I didn't really understand it. But when that, what ended up happening was in 2013, my dad he called me because he was having really bad diabetic neuropathy where the the nerves in his toes and his feet were becoming damaged. He wasn't getting blood flow and it could be a problem because what ends up happening is that an infection could develop and that could spread to the rest of the body leading to uh, a life-threatening thing. So what typically happens with diabetics who, who reach this point is that they have to get their feet amputated uh, if they reach a point where... Sorry, Evan, I'm just seeing if my... Do you still hear me? I hear you fine, yeah. Okay, I'm just... My screen went blank. Let me just turn this back on. So what ends up happening is if the diabetic neuropathy gets really bad, they end up amputating the feet in order to save the body. So my dad knew that. So he called me. He had a really difficult time even going to the bathroom. So me and my mom picked him up. We drove him to the hospital here in Miami Beach, Mount Sinai Medical Center. And in the hospital, my dad was so stressed out, so worried about what was going to happen next that he ended up suffering a massive stroke, which left him paralyzed and left him with the inability to speak. And that was the beginning of the end of my dad, where after that, they transferred him to a hospice care in uh, South Beach. And I would visit him every week as his body just shrunk before my eyes and nine months into that. He was on his deathbed for nine months. He couldn't speak a word to me, but I would visit him every week. I would play music for him. I would talk to him. Nine months into it, uh, it was August 11th, 2013, uh, 14, 2014, where I went to go visit him on a Monday night at the hospice. And when I walked in, he was just in the worst shape ever. He was throwing up on himself. He was convulsing. He was shaking. So I flagged down the nurses. I said, my dad needs help. And they cleaned him up. He looked a lot better towards the end of the night. I remember walking up to him and looking at him in the eyes and telling him how much I loved him and how I'm always going to be his son. He's, he's always going to be my dad, kissing him on the forehead. 
I said the words hasta la vista baby to him, which he used to always say that to me from our, one of our favorite movies, Terminator. So I said that to him and then I drove home crying in the car, coming home, crying at home, praying, praying. And I was saying the same prayer that I said every single day for, for months now, which was just please end my father's suffering. He has suffered enough. And I went to bed that night and then I woke up the next day and around noon, so less than 24 hours since that moment of seeing my dad, around noon the next day, I, I saw a phone call, my caller ID, and it was from the hospital. And my, my heart just sinks in my chest. I knew something was up. So I pick up the phone and it's my father's nurse letting me know that my dad, he stopped breathing that morning and they attempted to resuscitate him, but they were not successful and that my dad ended up passing away that day, that morning. So I remember hanging up the phone and just sitting there on my couch, my dog staring at me. And it was just a flood of emotions, a wave of emotions. A part of me was relieved and I took solace in knowing that my dad is not in pain. I no longer have to see him like that. But then the other part of me was just so devastated that I lost my dad, my one and only father. So that raised a lot of questions for me. You know, several questions, questioning the advice that I received from his doctors uh, because he got worse. And I have come to discover over the years ever since that you know, with the work that I shared in my books and my YouTube channel and podcasts, you know, what I'm going to share with you today, the same information that I now understand and teach the world, same information I've learned in FDN, it's the same information that would have saved my father's life. I know that to be true. I also know that I was given that mountain so I could show the world that the mountain can be moved. My father had a, med uh, had a lifestyle disease that was treated with medication. A huge mismatch right there. And if we would have changed his lifestyle, it would have changed his medication. He could have gotten off the medication. But it's unfortunate that conventional medicine does not acknowledge cause for the most part. They only acknowledge effect. But the symptom could be far removed from the cause. Nobody dies from diabetes. My dad did not die from diabetes. My dad died from the degeneration of that disease, the heart attacks, the strokes, the kidney failures. And that is the symptom of the cause, which is too much sugar, too much carbohydrates, eating too often, spiking insulin. So now I understand that. I learned that through FDN. I learned that through other methods as well. So our mission here at Keto Camp is to empower the world. We want to inspire 1 billion people to teach them that their body is incredible. And if, as long as you follow three rules, which is identify interference, remove interference, and allow your body to heal, then you could get extraordinary results. So that's when I started to search for holistic alternative approaches to the allopathic medicine. And then I started to study Reed Davis and Sean Croxton and, and Dr. Daniel Pompa, who's, a, who's my mentor, and a few other people in the space. And then I started to explore health coaching, health coaching certifications, and that's where I landed with uh, FDN. Wow. Uh, ben, that was a pretty incredible um, story. I do get chills pretty frequently on the podcast. I'm not going to lie, but that was like an extended one. It kind of just kept um, going. So thank you for just your honesty with that and, and sharing it with all of us. I think people a lot of the times, I, I'm very lucky that I have plenty of people in my life that respect my passion. I'm sure you do as well. Um, but sometimes they don't get it, right? Like it seems over the top or extreme even, right? Like why are you doing all those things? Why do you care about this so much? And it is very tough when you watch someone that you love or care about deeply 
go through hell with the medical system and then find out that that was just like you said, 100% avoidable. Um, that'll light someone up, you know, um, or it can tear you down. So I'm really glad that you found that as your mountain, as you said, and kind of turned that into something so positive because that is uh, much easier said than done, right? That's not an easy transition to make. So um, I just, I love what you're doing, man. And that is what a big why to have, you know, like a motivation to do this stuff and get this done. <sighs> All right. Thank so you. yeah, yeah. When we are getting into FDN, um, <laughs> I say we, but I obviously need you. You're getting into FDN in your story now. When you're going through and running the labs, what are some of the things that you're finding that might have been totally surprising to you? Like you never expected to find this in your body or you didn't know this about your health? Because I always think this is a really interesting part of the podcast. Yeah. So I really loved that part of uh, my health coaching certification with FDN, which was running labs on myself and seeing where I'm at before I, so I could understand my health and then I could live it to lead it and apply it to my future clients. So for me, I, um, when I started to do the um, cortisol test, saliva cortisol, 24 hour cortisol test, I was surprised to see that my adrenals were pretty shot. You know, I had a low cortisol throughout most of the day. And uh, I had I had the wrong pattern, <laughs> so that was interesting to me. And then later on, I discovered well the reason is because I had mold toxicity, I had heavy metals toxicity, and it was beating it was creating a fight or flight response chronically, beating up my adrenals, and eventually they gave out. So that was interesting. And then I also discovered that I had leaky gut. I had a whole bunch of food sensitivities because my body was having an autoimmune response to um, not being able to di fully digest food particles, and and it would end up in the bloodstream. So it would, I would tag that my body, my immune system would tag that as a threat, although it's, it could be a healthy food. That was super interesting, interesting to discover. I also did a stool test to see that I had higher amount, high amounts of H pylori. So it was great to get that because I was able to actually have something to work from instead of just guessing. And I know the philosophy at FDN is test, don't guess. And that was actually my first time in my career in the health space actually doing that. And uh, I was able to actually hop on the calls with my mentors and they will help me understand what that means. And then we could identify underlying uh, problems, underlying stressors, which we did. And uh, it was that was one of my favorite things about the health coaching certification course. Very cool. So it just goes to show, I mean, because at this point, just to be 100% clear, and I think I'm correct, when you were going through the FDN certification, you had already lost all that weight and you're a personal trainer at the time, correct? I was, and, and, and I was fit and I was lean. I, I owned a CrossFit gym at that time, but I didn't feel optimal. I didn't feel that healthy. I still needed to take naps. I still had some brain fog. So yes, you're correct. And this is one of the things we always try to get across. You know, I mean, a lot of people look fantastic on the outside, but not so great on the inside. And of course, it's not a one or the other. You can look pretty damn good on the outside and look pretty damn good on the inside as well. Yep. Um, but they're two different things. And, and we need to make sure that we're aware of that. And that's obviously one of the things that we're doing here. We're making people aware of it. Now, normally I like to dive into one of the things that maybe the FDN practitioner found on the labs, but I think we have a much larger conversation to dive in here today because we haven't really talked about this too in depth yet on the podcast, and that is keto. Now, obviously, um, you are the founder of something called Keto Camp, so let's just start with the basics. What is Keto Camp? How did you come to start that? And just tell us the background with that. I'd love to hear it. You're going to love this story, Evan, because we already mentioned a gentleman, uh, Sean Croxton, so it goes back full circle. So my first company was Shred Fat, which was my personal training company. And then after, our, of course, I got certified with FDN. 
I sold my CrossFit gym here in Miami, and then I just went decided to go 100% virtual. That was about three years ago. And I wanted to do big things. I wanted to big, do big things on YouTube and podcasts and, and different avenues online. And I was doing a course, on a, a seminar. I was at a seminar from Bob Proctor. And Bob Proctor said something that I heard him say several times, but this time it really connected with me. Bob Proctor said, find somebody who has done the things you want to do and pay them to teach it to you, right? And I already kind of mentioned that earlier, but this time it really landed with me. So I started to think who's out there in the health space, who has done really great things on YouTube and podcast. And I thought about Sean Croxton <laughs> again. So I ended up emailing him and saying, and introducing myself to Sean. I didn't, we didn't really know each other. And I said, Hey, you know, this is my company. Well, um, I want to do things here online. I know that you have done it and I really respect you. Do you offer coaching? I would love to get your marketing advice. So I hired him as a, as a marketing coach. We, he, uh, we did some exercises and he essentially said to, we need a rebrand. We need a rebrand, you know, shred fat is not niche enough. We want to do something that could really grow faster exponentially. So he asked me at that time, what do I really love to study the most? What lights me up that I feel energized when I speak about it to people and I'm educating my clients about. And at that time, and still to this day, it was keto and intermittent fasting because I had applied, but I started to do keto and fasting back in 2013 and I got amazing results with it. So he said, all right, let's, you know, think of a name. Let's think of something around that. And we, we let that marinate for a little bit. And eventually we, we started, we came up with keto camp. <laughs> and so Sean Croxton is actually the person who helped me develop that and get me started in, into that space. So I immediately rebranded, created a new YouTube channel. And that YouTube channel has done terrific. I mean, we 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 launched the YouTube channel a little over two years ago, and we have over 117,000 subscribers on there in, in two years. Uh, our podcast is a top 15 podcast, Keto Camp podcast, wow. in the uh, alternative health space. So we've done great things. And the reason to answer your question, I love keto so much, is because I've studied it a lot. And when you look at the body from a cellular lens, which is the way that you learn it a lot from FDN the body has two sources of fuel. Either we're burning fat or we're burning sugar. And when we're stuck as sugar burners, it's creating a lot of uh, cellular smoke, cellular byproducts. And I compare burning glucose and being stuck as a glucose sugar burner, I compare that to a truck that's speeding through the highway with all this smoke just being blasted out of the exhaust pipe. It's going on the cars next to it. It's going all over the trees. It's making the roads dirty. That's what it's like when the cell is stuck as a sugar burner. It's creating a lot of cellular smoke. When you could use keto as a tool, the way I use it is as a tool, then you could teach the cells to burn a cleaner source of fuel like fat. Then that's like a Tesla cruising through the streets, much cleaner for the environment, much cleaner for the cellular environment. So the way that I teach keto is in a four pillar approach. And I'm about to release a brand new book called Keto Flex that goes into the details about this. I know that keto is not a diet. The way that I teach it is not from a diet perspective. Keto is not a diet, it is a, it is a metabolic process, and it's been around since humans have existed. Every single one of our ancestors did keto, but here's the thing. They didn't stay in ketosis. They went in and out, and their environment determined that. And it turns out, fast forward to this year, 2021, every single one of our cells, all 70 trillion of them, are still hardwired this way. So the way that I teach keto is to be really strict in the beginning, teach the cells to burn fat. And then once you've done that and created this metabolic freedom and flexibility, 
then we start keto flexing. We intentionally get out of ketosis because I don't think it's healthy to stay in ketosis long term. I think it's healthy to flex in and out. So that's why I get excited when I talk about this because that's what we uh, teach a lot with our with our programs here at Keto Camp. Oh, this is so cool because about four and a half years ago now, I got introduced to intermittent fasting. Now, I had plenty of health challenges, but I had the opposite problem of you. And I don't mean this in a condescending way. I literally mean I had the opposite problem in terms of I just could not gain weight to save my life. I'm eating tons of food. Um, and that sounds always so cool to, you know, so many Americans out there. But the truth is, I mean, if you're a young male, you want to gain muscle, you want to look decent. No, it, it's not really cool to be a six foot guy and be 150 pounds. You know, grass is always greener on the other side type of thing. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I started engaging with um, and in rather intermittent fasting just for the health benefits. And I loved it. I mean, it's something I still do to this day. I definitely believe it's natural. And I've done like experiments with longer fasts and getting into ketosis and, you know, I definitely believe what you're saying that we should be going in and out, right? It's not one extreme or the other. And that's what people do. They're like, oh, well, keto is good. So three years of keto must be better. Well, no, just like, you know, three years or let's be honest, 30 years for many Americans of burning sugar primarily um, is not great. Doing the same thing with ketosis is also probably not great. So I'm just curious, what is your, if you have a general rule for this, like what is your general rule of thumb in terms of how many days out of the week, roughly, should we be in ketosis versus how often we should be going out? Or this does this depend on a few factors? I'd, I'd love to know that because I'm still learning about that myself. Yeah, well said, Evan. I agree with you. And I love intermittent fasting as well. And it goes hand in hand with keto. Um, yeah, so I'll give you some general rules. Of course, there's always exceptions to the rules here. But the way that I teach it in my uh, my book, the Keto Flex book that's coming out soon, is for the first 60 days, 6-0, we are going to be in ketosis. We're going to do it gradually and get you in there safely. And then once you're in there, we're there for 60 days. And then we practice some intermittent fasting strategies with it. Then once you achieve that, and at that point, let's say you don't have any metabolic damage, you don't have type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, then you can start flexing. And Depending on how much weight you want to, you still have to lose is how often you flex. Let's say you have five to 10 extra pounds of body fat at that point that you still need to lose. Then you can start doing a keto flex day, a high healthy carb day once per week. If you have more than 15 pounds or let's say 15 to 30 pounds to lose, then you could do a flex day. Um, excuse me, I, I'm, I'm explaining this wrong. So let me, I'm going to give you a good protocol here. I, I don't want to confuse your audience. So a general way to follow it is after those 60 days to follow what's called the 511 rule. And this could be applied to somebody who has five pounds to lose or even up to 15 pounds to lose. And there's different strategies depending on how much extra weight you need to lose. But it's a seven-day protocol. And what you're doing is one day out of the week, you are doing a 24-hour water fast. So that is going dinner to dinner. You're getting more of this autophagy repair, recycling, more fat loss. And then five days out of the week, you're doing an intermittent fasting approach, maybe like an 18-6 schedule with two keto meals. So you're in ketosis for six days. And then one day, which is the last one in the 511, you have a keto flex day where you have, you're not fasting, you're doing higher healthy carbs, more protein, lower fat. That's some good general maintenance right there. Of course, if you have extra weight to lose, there's different strategies on how to do this, but that's how you do it. So I would say to give you an answer with uh, overall, you know, 85% of the time you're in ketosis and then you have 15% where you're getting out. 
Okay, very interesting. Now this is cool because I'm just well versed enough to ask the right questions, I think, <laughs> um, but not well versed enough to not learn a ton today. So that's really, it's just fun. You know, I, I love doing this. One of the things that I've heard with ketosis and being in that state is that it would also depend on geographic location. For example, someone closer to the equator, especially someone native to that area, would have an abundance of carbohydrates year round and could pretty much eat that all the time. Whereas let's go to the opposite extreme. You have the Inuits in Nunavut, Canada, who were reportedly eating about before we tainted them with our modern American ways. Um, they were reportedly eating about 90% animal fat and protein year round. Obviously, more often than not, being in a state of ketosis. Do you think or believe that the geographic location matters, like nature wanted us to be in it more, depending on where we live? Or is that just too much for today's world and we kind of have to keep it to more of this regimen schedule because we're dealing with a lot of sick people? I think it does matter. There's a lot of factors that come into play with it. And then if we go down those rabbit holes, it tends to confuse people. But I know that here's the goal. Here, here is the overarching arching goal here. We want to make sure we're burning fat as our primary fuel source, but not the only fuel source. And that could, you know, that could mean 50% of the time you're in ketosis and 50% of the time you're not. Or uh, if you're very active, you could get away with even more carbohydrates because you're going to burn it down. And so there's always going to be some, some gray areas here and how to apply that. And I do agree. It depends on your geographical location. It depends on your genetics, it depends on how active you are and what your current health situations are. But yeah, the goal is to use it as a tool and to apply it in that way. And it's going to be unique to you. In the beginning, I think uh, it's important to get disciplined and strict to get into ketosis to see what it feels like. And then you could start flexing in and out and experimenting with how long you want to stay out versus how long you want to stay in. Awesome. How do you recommend people track this? Are you someone that will just rely on the macronutrients or do you advise that they use a tracker? Because I've personally um, found a lot of benefit in utilizing the latter. Yeah. In the beginning, I think it's important to use a tracking um, device I, like Chronometer, MyFitnessPal, whatever, whatever app. And the goal is to track not calories. I never focus on calories. I think it's more of a distraction. Yes, calories matter. But no, they're not that important. They're more of a distraction. So what we do focus on in the beginning, especially the first 28 days, this is what I teach to my academy students as well, is to track your carbohydrates. You want to drop that total carbohydrates to below 50, and you could track that with an app. And then you want to prioritize protein, actually. Protein uh, and have about 40 to 50 grams, which is about eight ounces of protein at each of your meals, and then fill the rest with fat so that you're satisfied and satiated. So you are tracking um, carbohydrates in the beginning, and then you're making sure you're getting enough protein. And then you're, with the fat, you're just going to eat enough so that you feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. I do recommend that, uh, especially in the first 28 days. But once you get a feel for it, it's not necessary. Sure. And do you ever utilize like the blood trackers, like literally pricking your finger like you would with a glucometer to see your ketone level? Yeah, yeah, I do. So there's three different areas on how to test your ketones. There's There's three different ketone bodies. So there is urine strips, there is breath, and then there is blood. Um, the one that a lot of people use because it's cheap is urine. But unfortunately, uh, urine is not that accurate. It might be accurate in the first few days, but once the body gets really efficient and the brain gets efficient at metabolizing and using the ketones, they don't spill out in the urine. So the strip ends up being lighter and lighter, and then it frustrates the person thinking they're not in ketosis, but they might very well be. They're just very good at using those ketones. So I always, I don't recommend the urine strips. 
breath could be accurate if you get the right device. I've, I've experimented with a device called BioSense. I like their device. But the most common one is going to be blood. And I've used, you know, I've used machines like Keto Mojo is the one I personally use. And as long as you're hitting 0.5 or above on the blood meter, looking at beta hydroxybutyrate, you are in ketosis. Now, it's, it's important because at Keto Camp, we don't chase ketones, we chase results. But it is there is a sweet spot I've seen for most people to be in when they're in ketosis. And that is going to be checking the blood, beta hydroxybutyrate, 0.8 to 2.8 is a good sweet spot where you feel really good. Awesome. Well, yeah, you already beat me to my next question because that's what I was going to ask. I hear <laughs> so many subjective, it seems, uh, values around like what is ketosis and what's not. Um, so I really like knowing that, okay, it could be as little as 0.5, but Hey, you're probably going to do best with that 0.8 to 2.8. And I know, especially after, you know, the higher, like 1.8s, twos, you're really getting into some deeply therapeutic states of ketosis, correct? Yeah. And that's typically going to be done when you're doing a longer fast. If you're, if you're getting, if you're doing like a 16 hour fast and you have three point something ketones, that's not necessarily a good thing. It means your brain's not really using those ketones efficiently. But mm -hmm. yeah, once you go and extend your fast and do more fasting, you'll see higher numbers. And then that is a more of a therapeutic ketosis. Yes. Understood. I feel like we're rapid firing here. So I promise I only have one more question regarding <laughs> ketosis. <laughs> the final thing that I have a ton of confusion around is because so many people, like almost universally, I hear say, hey, well, if you have a blood um, tracker or something like you know, Keto Mojo or Kiss My Keto, whatever, and you see that the number's here, okay, you're in ketosis. But Keto Mojo, I believe it is, you know, they track both glucose and ketones and then claim that you need to use the glucose ketone index to truly track when you're in ketosis. Meaning that theoretically, apparently, someone could actually have a decent enough level of blood ketones, but if their blood sugar was super high, they're actually not in a deep state of ketosis. Are you familiar with that? Are you able to provide any clarity on it? Because I don't really understand how someone's body, I just don't know this yet. Like how could I be a 1.0 or something on the ketone meter, but also be like 135 in my blood sugar? Like, is that a good thing that my body's doing both? Shouldn't it be one or the other? Um, I think I just hit you with like 10 questions. So feel free <laughs> to answer that in any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the answer. I mean, I, I studied this um, area. So great question. Yes. Um, so we typically see that with, somebody who's insulin resistant and, uh, and type two diabetic where they have higher levels of, of glucose, fasting glucose, but they still have ketone bodies. That's not good because the body is not going to use those ketones. So I do like keto mojo's approach at looking at both glucose and ketones. And the, here's the reason why the the reason the body is not going to use the ketones is because it wants to prioritize the most toxic fuel source which is glucose. It wants to get, it wants to lower that because that's the toxic fuel source. The body will prioritize getting rid of the sugars and lowering those sugars versus using the ketones. So it's not common to see high glucose and ketones, but it does happen, especially if somebody is insulin resistant or type two diabetic. And the goal is to check your glucose and ketones. I think that's a great thing to do. I'm going to give some, some strategies here and some advanced strategies and what okay. I teach. Um, fasting glucose optimal levels, somewhere between 70 and 90, right? If you're hitting a fasting glucose of 70 to 90, that's good. Ketones, I already mentioned 0 0.8 to 2.8, no matter whether you're eating or not. But of course you got to be eating a keto friendly meal in order to stay in ketosis. That stays the same. But what we also want to check is postprandial glucose. So an hour, an hour after eating, which is postprandial you want the glucose to be 120 or less. And these are American units. So 120 or less an hour after eating postprandial. 
two hours after eating, we want glucose to be below 100. And if you're hitting those numbers with your glucose, if you're staying in between 0.8 and 2.8 ketones, then the approach that you're following is doing you well. It's working for you and just, just keep at it. Of course, you want to do other lab work and verify, but that approach sounds good. Oh, awesome, Ben. Throwing down some knowledge today, man. People are going to, like, this is probably one of the ones that people are going to learn the most on. And it's uh, such a trendy topic. I don't think this is going out of style anytime soon. Um, and right. for good reason, you know, because keto really is not a fad diet, in my opinion, when used properly. I think it is a metabolic state. Um, I think it's something, just like you said, that we need to be going in and out of. All right, moving on from there, I'd love to talk about some of your client successes and people that you've worked with, because I always say this. It's amazing to hear from someone who is clearly intelligent, obviously highly passionate about this stuff and see the results that you got. But you know what? The average person out there that maybe is not so passionate about this stuff and they have another passion. You know, they're an engineer, they're an accountant, they're a construction worker, they're whatever. They want to get healthy, but they don't have the time to do what we're doing and just study this stuff, um, you know, relentlessly because we love it. So I think it's important for other people to know that, yes, this stuff is duplicatable. You don't need to have the level of knowledge necessarily that we have to do this. Um, and it happens all the time. So Ben, is there a client story or maybe even client stories that are just like really phenomenal that stick out in your head? Like one that just, wow, they came to you and their life really changed around. Yeah. So the first one I thought about was, um, is Zippor. Her name is Zippor. She doesn't mind me sharing her first name. I asked her before. <laughs> so Zippor came to me. She had PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. She had uh, insulin resistance. She was um, overweight and she hadn't had her period in over a year. She was still in her cycling ages, age, but she didn't have a monthly period. So she came to me and uh, we put her on a, a keto protocol, intermittent fasting protocol. We, we looked upstream at some other things. Of course, a lot of the things I learned from the, from the FDN uh, program. And she reported back in, 45, in less than 45 days that she got her period back. She lost 28 pounds and her insulin, her, uh, her fasting glucose were getting towards the, the optimal range, right? In, in less than 45 days. That's because we identified interference, like that health detective mindset that I learned about in FDN. We identified dysfunction, which was interference in Zippor's body. And then we worked on removing the interference. And then her body healed. The body is capable of healing as long as we identify and remove the interference. So there were those hidden stressors that we identified and removed. She's an amazing example of healing. And then another one that just came to mind, is uh, her name is Shannon, who's a Keto Camp Academy member of mine, and and within sixty days, six zero, she was able to she was type two diabetic, and she was able to actually work with her doctor and get off of her insulin one hundred percent, and she lost the weight. You know, losing the, losing the weight is a side effect of getting healthy. We weren't focused on the weight loss; we were focused on the health. So she mm -hmm. lost a whole bunch of weight. Her infl inflammation went down. And these are just examples on when you could identify these healing opportunities, like Reed Davis talks about all the time identify the healing opportunities and then pursue them. And the body's absolutely incredible. It is capable of healing no matter if you're 23 years old or 93 years old. It's that's the way the human body is. So those I hope those stories in, inspire. Yeah, no, that it's wonderful, especially the part about the um, type two diabetic, because this is something I hear all the time. Like I just assumed it was known. Um, maybe I've been in this bubble too long. I assumed it was known that type 2 diabetes was a reversible condition when lifestyle factors were, uh, you know, accounted for or whatever. 
most people that have type 2 diabetes do not think that they can ever reverse this by changing their lifestyle. They think they can lose weight. They think that they can lower their insulin. They do not think that, hey, maybe one day I'm not going to need insulin anymore. Now, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition, guys, and that's a little bit different. Um, I've heard some cool stories, but, you know, a whole separate topic. Whereas type yeah. 2 diabetes, though, is just your cells have become insulin to, uh, excuse me, resistant to the insulin. You know, so they can become sensitive once again. It just needs a little break. It's kind of um similar conceptually, I would say, to someone that maybe has abused alcohol for too long, right? You abuse the alcohol too long, your brain becomes a little resistant to it. Now you can have a few more drinks and still get away with it. Um, and you kind of need it to get through the day, right? Because if you just stop drinking, you're going to feel like crap because you've been drinking every day for years. But over time, the body heals. All of a sudden, one or two drinks again has you tipsy and, you know, you do not need this to get through the day. Um, maybe not a perfect example, but I think conceptually similar <laughs> enough for the sake of this conversation, right? Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. the, the analogy that I give with that is um, it's like if you had children, if you had kids and you screamed at them, go clean your room. At first, they're going to listen. But week after week, month after month, year after year, you keep yelling at them to go scream their room. They're going to be they're going to listen less. And it's the same <laughs> thing when you're blasting insulin into the body. They become discipline resistant, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Ben, this has been a lot of fun. I have one question I want to ask. That is my signature question on this podcast. But before that, where can people find you, man? It sounds like you have a lot going on and many different places that people can go. And of course, guys, all of these will be in the show notes afterwards. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, the Keto Camp podcast would be a great transition from this podcast. Uh, I had Reed Davis recently on there, so you could start with that with that episode. And then our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Keto Camp, uh, camp is spelled with a K, is a great resource. And then anywhere on social media, you could look me up. I'm doing some cool things also on Clubhouse as well. Awesome. Awesome. I might have to meet you up on Clubhouse because I have not been on there yet and I keep getting told, hey, you love talking about health, dude. Get your butt over there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You, you do well in there. I agree with that. <laughs> okay. So my final question, the most fun question of the podcast is just a hypothetical. And I always have to disclaim this with FDNs and most other functional practitioners. Thankfully, we know that there is bioindividuality. We know that not everything is a one size fits all. So with that in mind, I'd like you to humor me. And if Ben had a magic wand and you could get every single human on this planet to engage in one health habit, whether that be getting them to do something or getting everyone not to do something, what would be that thing that you would get them to do or not to do? Yeah. Besides telling them to turn off the news, <laughs> it, would be, <laughs> it would be the habit of actually practicing gratitude. Uh, I believe what we appreciate, appreciates. And if you could really get into the habit of, of being grateful, you're going to get more to be grateful for. That's a universal law, the, the law of what you feed energy to expands. So um, if you could just get a simple habit, grab a pen and paper before bed, 10 things you're grateful for that happened during the day. In the morning, 10 things you're grateful for overall, just experiencing gratitude because a lot of people do the opposite. They are complaining they're gossiping, they're focusing on what's not working and goes back to the universal law. They'll get more of what's not going to work for them. But when we could switch that around and start being grateful for the little things, and then we'll get grateful for the big things, uh, what we appreciate appreciates. And I truly believe what we think about and what we think about, we bring about. And that's free. That's something you could do immediately. That's something you could do every single day. And that will immediately put you in a healing state because the opposite is fear. And fear uh, puts you in a chronic fight or flight state. And as I've learned in FDN, at least 90% of chronic disease is a result of chronic stress. As a matter of fact, 
Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote a great book, The Biology of Belief, has shown and proven with science that you could actually create inflammation around your cells with negative thoughts, with stinking thinking. You actually create, you tell your cells to create new proteins that are negative proteins that actually could lead to disease. But when you start switching that around and flipping that around and thinking, thinking about gratitude and being grateful, that's a superpower. It's really healing to the body and it immediately shifts you to more of a parasympathetic rest and digest state. So that's the thing I would say. Focus on gratitude, appreciate it, and you'll get more to appreciate. Well, that is definitely a thing I think that is all too often forgotten in our space. And unfortunately, it's not intentional, but we get so into the weeds with the lab testing and the science and the biochemistry, all very useful, all usually necessary for someone to truly heal. But what about the emotional stuff? This is science. We do know that a negative mindset and being constantly stressed out mentally are not going to lead to good clinical outcomes for the person that is dealing with the health issues. And that's why at FDN Thrive, one of the things we always make sure to do is carefully address the mindset stuff, any traumas that are there, and make sure that person is also working with any additional professionals that they need. And then we touch on a lot of the lifestyle stuff and biochemical things. We look at it all. That is a true holistic approach. Well, I just want to thank you for having tuned in to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev, and we've been talking to Mr. Ben Azadi, founder of Keto Camp. I'm looking forward to talk talking to you again soon, and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the FDN Thrive Podcast. If you feel like you've been stuck in the cycle of trial and error when it comes to your health issues, our team can help. Whether you've tried every different diet out there without lasting success, spent way too much money on supplements at your local health food store, or been told that your lab tests are normal despite feeling anything but normal, we have your back. Go to FDNThrive.com and click the Get Started Here button if you're ready to stop playing guessing games with your health. That's FDNThrive.com.